Welcome to Greg Kelly Reports. I'm Eric Bowling, filling in for Greg this week. You know, there's something insane going on right now in D.C., folks. It's got me scratching my head. Do they really think we're that stupid? Do the liberal Democrats honestly think we don't see exactly what they're up to? First, we must refresh our collective memories. It's essential to what is happening this week in liberal swamp D.C., the lawmakers call home, to understand the reasons for the liberals about face on crime now. A year ago, the country was being fiercely divided. We were embroiled in a very contentious presidential election. Simultaneously to that going on, the killing of George Floyd by a Minneapolis cop was fresh and raw. The lines were being drawn. On the left, liberals were demanding American cities defund the police because they claimed there was systemic racism prevalent in American police departments. On the right, conservatives, who, by the way, have always backed law enforcement, first responders and the military, were standing firmly behind the police. Some of us saw what was developing. The lines were being drawn and America was becoming a war zone. Literally, war was breaking out on our main streets. Riots in Portland, a burning of the police department building. Can you believe that? In Seattle, a group of Antifa and Black Lives Matter troublemakers declared an area of downtown Seattle as an autonomous zone. Crime was rampant in Chaz or CHOP or whatever they wanted to call it. Rapes, assaults, and ultimately, two murders. The media, again, largely leaning left, took a side. They aligned behind the rioters. No better example than this, where a CNN reporter, while standing in front of a fiery riot, downplayed the violence. Now look at that Chiron right there. Fiery, but mostly peaceful. Hmm, really? Or... What was this all about? I want to be clear in how I characterize this. This is a, mostly a protest. Uh, it, is not, uh, it is not, generally speaking, unruly. Peaceful, not unruly? Look at that. That fire is flaming out of control. Nice job, Allie. Well, that wasn't largely peaceful at all. That was anarchy in our streets. The media exacerbated the division. They fueled the fire that was literally burning down our cities. It's difficult to do the job and then have to look at your own kids, you know, who are now, you know, young millennials in their 20s and still not be able to say, no, police can't just kill you. Because actually kind of it can. I'm terrified to call the police on people because I, I have to be prepared to see that person die. That's not helpful. That fuels the fire and the rioting on the streets. But once the media got behind Antifa and BLM, it was easy for politicians to pick a side, too. Liberals, of course, sided with the anarchists. It became almost aspirational for the leftists. The more vocal you were calling for defunding the police, the more woke you were, and therefore, the more liberal you were. Here, take a listen for yourself. I am for defunding the police. Yes, I support the defund movement. Many affluent suburb, suburbs have essentially already begun pursuing a defunding of the police in that they fund schools. I will never stop saying not only do we need to disinvest for in police, but we need to completely dismantle the Minneapolis Police Department. All right. Got it. Liberals wanted our police departments defunded. Well, they got their wish. 
Major cities with Democrat mayors followed their media and politicians' marching orders. Take a look at this. Baltimore cut $22 million from the police department's budget. Seattle slashed funding for their police by 18%. Minneapolis went a step further. They moved to actually disband their police department. And right here in New York City, the liberal mayor, Mayor Bill de Blasio, cut a whopping $1 billion from law enforcement. Chicago, Chirac, my hometown, where mass shootings were more common than a Cubs winning a ball game, the last thing they needed was a cut. They really needed more funding, not less. Yet, liberal mayor Lori Lightfoot nonetheless proposed to cut the police budget by $59 million. Well, then the inevitable happened. Crime spiked and spiked massively in the same cities that those liberal mayors were cutting cops' budgets. Look at the spike in homicides across these cities, for example. In fact, it's gotten so bad. A new survey showed, get this, and this is why it really matters. Seven in 10 voters, get it? Voters say crime is on the rise. That brings me back to what I was talking about at the beginning of the monologue, the liars and hypocrites on Capitol Hill. Now the Democrats, realizing how moronic that slogan was, defund the police, are trying to do an about face and blame who? Republicans. This time, we have the receipts. There's a crime wave running rampant through our cities, yet the left wants to flip the script on you and suggest it was Republicans who were to blame, and that is simply ludicrous. Somehow, the same people who were shouting defund the police in front, in front of any camera they could find are now inexplicably suggesting Republicans are calling for defunding the police. Only in D.C., folks. Republicans defunded the police by not supporting the American Rescue Plan. But how is it that that is an argument uh, to be made when the president never mentioned needing money for police to stop a crime wave when he was selling the American Rescue Plan? Well, the president did mention that the American Rescue Plan, the state and local funding, something that was supported by the president, a lot of Democrats who supported and voted for the bill, could help ensure uh, local cops were kept on the beat in communities across the country. As you know, didn't receive a single Republican vote. That funding has been used to keep cops on the beat. Yeah, because it was only a small portion of what they were asking for. And by the way, what they were asking for was going to be spent on stuff that had nothing to do with policing. Only in D.C. I say, don't let them do it. Don't let them flip the script on you. Don't let them out of the corner they've painted themselves into. They now realize that their defund the police slogan is going to crush them in the voting booth in 2022. That's why I think it's essential I continue to remind us all who the party of defunding the police really is. It was and it is liberals, period. And I hope other journalists will do the same thing because I can't think of any right-minded journalist who would actually accuse a Republican lawmaker of being the party of defunding the police. At least not a real journalist. Sure, those liberal opinion guys who parade as journalists and hide behind some fake wall of fair and balanced, who are really liberal lefty spin doctors. Congressman Banks, you voted against that package, against that $350 billion, just like every other Republican in the House and Senate. So can't you make the argument that it's you and the Republicans who are defunding the police? Like I said, those liberal lefties claiming to be journalists, yuck. But you know who's not 
one of those fake journalists, Chicago reporter William Kelly, who went head-to-head -head yesterday with Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot. The heated exchange had Lightfoot on the defensive. We're joined by that reporter now, William Kelly. Thank you for joining us, William. Before you answer that, I want our folks to take a listen to some of that exchange from yesterday. Sir, I was polite and allowed you to spew your rhetoric, which is offensive to me and others. But I'm trying to be polite and professional and answer your question. Well, so tell us how that went down. It was a back and forth. It was over five minutes. And she seemed, Mayor Lightfoot, seemed to want to hear your question. But once she started asking, and it was a tough question, it was a great question, she didn't want any part of it. And I noticed her comms director was losing their mind behind her. Once she heard I was with Newsmax was when she didn't want any part of our, our question, Eric. And by the way, God bless you. You and I are guilty of nothing, okay? Let's make that perfectly clear on the record. Yeah, I, I was angry. I, I have to be honest, uh, born and raised on the south side of Chicago. I've seen the crime every day, rape, robbery, murder, thousands upon thousands of unsolved shootings and murders. And Mayor Lori Lightfoot answered my very specific question by saying that crime was down. This weekend, 70-plus shootings, Eric. Does that sound like crime is down to you? William, I come from that city. I come, I'm born and raised in Chicago. I call it Chirac because I can do that because I came from there. It's, it, it's disgusting. It's scary. And then these liberal Democrat mayors come to, to, to the podium and say, oh, things are better. When they're not better, how is 70 shootings in a weekend better? Very quickly. Well, unless Newsmax was actually in the room to ask the question, guess what? All of the liberal reporters would have gone back and filed the report that crime was down. Thank God for you, Eric, and Newsmax. Otherwise, there'd be no hope in the city of Chicago, let me tell you. All right. Well, good job asking the tough question, William. Keep it up. Appreciate your time. Thank you. God bless you. All right. The left is attempting to flip the script on defund the police movement, blaming it on Republicans. So let's bring in Congressman Burgess Owens, a Republican from Utah, they're trying to paint you and every Republican as the defund the police party. What do you make of that, Congressman? Well, uh, first of all, you're good seeing you again. Uh, this is what happens when there's no North Star. The North Star is truth. And uh, the left, unfortunately, believes that they can say anything and get away with it. And, and, and what they don't understand is the American people have long memories. We do remember very, very vividly the message that was not only being given, but the result of that. Crime and, and particularly black Americans being hurt, killed, maimed, and, 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 and high record numbers. So, no, we, we get it. And um, uh, it's like they used to say, uh, don't believe your lying, your lying eyes. Uh, we understand what's going on here. And uh, they will pay a price, believe uh, me. Only in, in D.C., as I said earlier, only in D.C., in the swamp that is D.C. Congressman, let's turn the, turn the script, turn the page a little bit. You were a former athlete, former football player. Um, th there's so much... Um, news in the sports world right now. The woke world is colliding with the sports world. You know, last week we talked about the, the, the Olympic athlete who turned her back on, on the American flag. Tell us about that very quickly because I have a couple other I want to get to. Well, uh, she will be uh, a footnote. Uh, and and when, at one point she's going to realize that uh, making her, her, uh, her little community uh, uh, of, of other uh, leftists happy is, is going to be short-lived. No, there's one reason to go to Olympics, very simply. It's to wear the red, white, and blue, to stand for the flag, and represent your country. Anybody who cannot represent your country, do something else. I mean, if you're ashamed of America, do not represent America. 
uh, and in particular on the international stage. So uh, what, 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 uh, what athletes like this do not understand is that there are more people who love our country, love our future, love our kids than those who don't. And those who do will make sure there's a price to be paid on the free market, that uh, uh, this will be a footnote in, in, in this young lady's uh, life. Unfortunately for her, she will not be able to, to benefit right. long term from this, this process. Congressman, there was another story that came out a couple of days ago. Chelsea Wolf, she's a transgender Olympic BMX alternate right now, posted <laughs> this on Facebook in March of last year. She basically said, my goal, quote, my goal is to win the Olympics so I can burn a U.S. flag on the podium. This is what they focus on during a pandemic, hurting trans children. That was March of last year. Post has been deleted, but yet an Olympic hopeful saying she wants to burn the flag on the, on the podium. What, what this highlights is more than just what we're hearing from these athletes who have no clue about patriotism, love for country. It says about something about our educational system. And Eric, we need to make sure that we're dealing with this. We can no longer have uh, 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 this propaganda machine pushing out good kids who come in with the hopes and dreams of becoming successful, leaving in debt. Uh, with, with degrees of mean nothing and hating our country at the same time. We need to put an end to that. We need to make sure that these, these Marxists and socialists that are training hide behind uh, uh, these tenures are, yeah. are dealt with because we can no longer have our, country, our, our kids uh, living a, a life of misery, which they will if they turn against our country. The greatest and, and country in the Americans. world. Greatest country in the exactly. world with most opportunity to get ahead and to, 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 to be successful and to be wealthy. And, and, and these athletes who represent that flag, that country, continue to disrespect it. It's crazy. There was a, another story about a, a, a New Zealand trans athlete. He became a she. Um, Laurel Hubbard, I, I don't want to go into that because we're going to run out of time. I, there's, there's something that happened to me about six weeks ago, or so ago, Congressman. It was on, when Major League Baseball pulled out of Atlanta and moved the All-Star game to Denver. Atlanta's 50% African-American. Denver's yeah. about 9% African-American. I was on BBC. I was on their evening program in, in London, their biggest show in, in, in the country news show. And I was on there, I was invited to come on to speak about this, what was going on with Major League Baseball, former baseball player, former professional baseball player. I felt that it was bad for the black businesses in Atlanta, and I spoke about it and talked about it. There was a Harvard professor on with me, and she basically accused me of racism. Could we play the soundbite if you guys don't mind? Take a listen. Here's what they did to the African-American community, minority businesses in Atlanta, in Cobb County. They took $100 million of revenue. They took 8,000 booked hotel rooms and they moved them out of the state and put them in a state and a city with far less diversity. I think it's really rich for any Republican, especially a white man, to run around and claim that they care about the economic condition of black communities and black businesses when that's all a lie. How dare you try to act Never. like you are somehow a proponent of black people and businesses um, just to make a, a point and to try to create a wedge. It's ignorant and it's just disrespectful. That's disgusting. I'm done. Put me off. That's disgusting. I'm, I'm, I am nowhere near anything you're painting me to be. And the problem with American politics is exactly that. Because I'm white, you think I'm racist? That's BS. Okay. I'm done. Will, will you just stay, Eric, will you just stay for this question? So, Eric? Congressman, I only have a couple of seconds. I'm a white yep. man. That's obvious. That's true. I can't care about African-American businesses. I mean, isn't no, no, that Eric, racist in itself? Eric, Eric, what you just heard is a bigot, period. 
Bigotry comes in all colors, and unfortunately, these are miserable people. They don't want to have a conversation. The truth is very simply, America's small businesses are under attack by the hard left. They want to destroy the middle class. How do they destroy the middle class? Destroy black businesses, white businesses, across the board. Destroy the business structure we have, and middle class goes away. The elitist class grows, the dependency class grows, and they get their weight. They get their power. You just listen to a bigot. So uh, don't don't let them get away with the fact because they have a, a black skin that they can also be pure and innocent. They are, this is a bigot you just listen to, and we need to make sure that we understand that process and and move on. Repres Come together and move on. Representative Burgess Owens, we appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, coming up next. Have you seen anything at this point that gives you a high degree of confidence? that the Wuhan Institute of Virology was the origin of this virus? Yes, I have. Yes, I have. Trump repeatedly told us from the start of the pandemic where the virus originated from, but we found new evidence that will just prove him right once again. Plus, Trump heads to the border tomorrow with Texas Governor Greg Abbott. We'll give you a preview of the big day ahead. All this coming up right after the break. Big news from the app world. The Newsmax TV app has been downloaded more than 5 million times since Election Day. It's one of the most popular apps on both iPhones and Android devices. Plus, it's free. So go to your app store now and you'll get easy access to Newsmax.com for top news. Plus, you can watch Newsmax TV anytime, anywhere. And remember to sign up for app notifications so you never miss a breaking news alert from Newsmax. Download the free app now. Takes just seconds. Newsmax TV. Watch us anytime, anywhere. Have you checked out the Newsmax Daily Podcast with me, Rob Carson? You get daily news, insightful commentary, and believe it or not, comedy. Check it out wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts or at NewsmaxTV.com slash podcast. Turned on to fake news CNN and MSDNC, and they said, Fox hasn't been so great either, have they, huh? This past Saturday on Newsmax, we aired live coverage of former President Trump's rally in Wellington, Ohio, in its entirety. This was Trump's first rally since leaving the White House. So what were the competing networks like Fox doing? Well, they're airing regular programming as if nothing was even happening. Take a look at this. Newsmax beats Fox in key demos, Trump rally draws 3 million-plus viewers. Joining me now is host of John Bachman Now, epitomously John Bachman. Welcome, John. Good to have you on. Good to be with you again, my friend. Great to be with you, Eric. Great to be in the, the, the guests on your show here on Newsmax. Well, uh, I just fill it in for Kelly. In, I just fill it in for the big, big news, guys, right? But having some fun. Um, yeah. Let's take a look at these numbers. These are amazing. These are fantastic. Take a look at that first full screen, if you don't mind. It's a breakdown of Newsmax's viewership during the rally. Um, Newsmax beat Fox in the very key demo during the rally. Check out that, Trump. There's, a, there's the numbers. Let's scroll through a couple of these, if you don't mind. According to Nielsen coverage ratings, Newsmax beat all of the fake news, including Fox, CNN, and MSNBC. Tell us a little bit about what happened. How did, how, it, it, how did so many people decide to come and watch you guys at Newsmax here? Well, Eric, I remember one of the first lessons I learned from my first news director in this business when I just started out. Uh, you know, I was struggling to find stories, and I wanted to come to the morning meeting with a good story. And I asked her, I said, "What? You know, Estelle, that was her name." I said, "You know, what do I do here?" And she says, "Well, John, 
go to where the people are and you'll find a story. And, that, and that's what we are doing here, Eric. You saw the crowd at the Trump rally, 30,000 people in Ohio in the middle of summertime. These folks were clamoring for this type of event. And so what we did is we went where the people were to cover that story. Obviously, there was a lot of interest in the rally. Ohio, you know, is a battleground state, at least it used to be. It's still a very big uh, area of interest for, you know, politicians. And so we went there and told a story. And lo and behold, the people tuned in to see what that story was. Of course, it doesn't hurt, that, you know, as you know, that Donald Trump does seem to have a, a way with these types of rallies and always brings uh, the funk. Yeah, if you will. It, it, but it's interesting, John, that that you know Newsmax took it, but Fox didn't. I, I, let's let's hone in yeah. on it. What, what do you think went went behind what happened behind the scenes that Fox said, you know what, let's not take this rally, and turned out being a big winner for Newsmax. I, I think it's a it's a hubris type of thing, quite honestly, Eric. I think there's an unwillingness um, to cede control of the news cycle or the narrative or whatever you want to call it to cede that over to Donald Trump at this stage of the game. I think um, there's this kind of weird codependent relationship that the media have with Donald Trump. You heard him hint to that. They need him for the ratings, but they don't want to kind of admit that they need him for the ratings. And so they stay away for some reason. I would imagine, Eric, based on these results and what we're seeing here, maybe there's going to be a, a change of strategy the next time around. If they don't take it, maybe they'll cover it a different way. Who knows? Yeah, but, you know, I, I results, think it's important to note. He's got a, he's got yeah. a, uh, another one, another rally coming up in Sarasota, Florida on Saturday. Newsmax is already there. They've already staked out the, the area that, that, that there's going to be a there's going to be people there reporting from it. You can take the, the full the full event live like last time. I wonder if Fox is going, uh, who had that idea not to take the Trump rally last time? Well, you can leave the meeting right now and, and they may change. They may pivot. Hope they don't because it's kind of like having millions right. of viewers. Right. But, you know, I, th I think what you know, we've proven is that we were here first kind of in, when it c comes to the value of covering these events. And, the, you know, the, the feedback that I've got from, from so many people, Eric, is, you know, they say thank you, which is a humbling thing to hear from people. But we're obviously filling uh, a void that wasn't there. They, they didn't feel like Fox was doing this for them. We've seen uh, the people defect from Fox and come over to us. And it's humbling. It's gratifying. It's a lot of hard work that goes into it. Um, but, you know, it's a lot of common sense, too. The, the, the people care about what Donald Trump have to say, has to yeah. say. And so it's a newsworthy event. That's what we're here to do is cover the news. Yeah, very quickly, let's put up the statement. Trump put out a statement earlier today talking about the fake news. He took shots at CNN. Ratings are down. MSDNC is also way down. Actually, they're all the way, all way down. They say the news is boring since I left D.C., uh, since I left D.C., I'm sorry, Morning Joe, Joy Reid, Nicole Wallace, Jake Tapper, and even Chris Wallace at Fox in free fall. Wonderful thing to see. I know for that. I know the guy a long time. I interviewed him seven times as president. He loves Newsmax. He loves Newsmax. He seems to be ticked off at Fox, and, and, and I can't blame him. Uh, they, they seem to be uh, expediently taking his, his rallies and deciding when to and when not to. And you guys have been there from the very beginning. Yeah, well, it's us guys now, too, Eric. Uh, you're on the team. It's great to have you here. And, you know, we, we did a segment today on my show about the fact that Rachel Maddow was talking about Donald Trump being indicted and then extradited out of Florida and how that would cause problems for Ron DeSantis. And her segment was based on a New Yorker magazine piece that was based on gossip from something that somebody overheard somebody say at Mar-a-Lago. And this turned into a couple of news cycles, both on MSNBC and on CNN. And reflections of those... Uh, those stories, I think, are in those numbers you just presented. It turns out people don't like to be lied to. They don't like to be misled. 
And most people don't live in Washington, D.C., in New York City, and they can see through what they're doing. They're they're intentionally going after Donald Trump because they don't like them. But the truth is a different thing. We have a whole list of stories that have been debunked just in the last few months, and it's getting longer every day. Yep. All right, John, thank you so much for your time. Host of John Bachman now, John Bachman, of course. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check out his shows weekdays, 12 p.m. Eastern, here on Newsmax. See you, GOP lawmakers held a hearing today to discuss the COVID origin. We have more evidence to share with you after the break. GOP lawmakers held their own COVID-19 origins hearing today, and surprise, not one Democrat showed up. Republicans have been demanding Nancy Pelosi convene a bipartisan meeting on the matter, but are still waiting for answers and probably will be for a very long time. Joining us now, Kentucky Congressman James Comer. Thank you for joining us, uh, Congressman. So you, you invite a bunch of Democrats. I also noted you invited one Dr. Anthony Fauci. He show up? He did not show up. And I've been one of the Republicans that have been holding out uh, prospects of his future. I wanted to give him an opportunity to come to Congress and testify and uh, give his uh, discrepancies as to why his emails were vastly different than what he's been telling the American public over the past year and a half, and uh, hope that he would come and do just that because Dr. Fauci never shied away from a camera prior to the release of his emails, and he never shied away from congressional testimony. Unfortunately, he did not show up today, and I'm pretty disappointed, and I'm going to join the bandwagon of uh, most of my Republican colleagues in, in saying that it's time for Dr. Fauci to go and he should resign. Yeah, I think one of your uh, Kentucky senator, uh, Rand Paul, is also calling for Fauci to to be removed if he won't resign. Uh, so, so, so tell us, you held a hearing, an origins hearing. I mean, clearly most of the uh, public, I would think, uh, believes that it originated, COVID originated in that lab, not necessarily out in the wet markets of China. What did you guys find out? What, what's the latest? Well, the likelihood that it uh, came from animals is almost zero. That was proven today. Uh, the, in fact, I didn't know that uh, there have been over 80,000 animals tested and not a single animal showed up positive with COVID-19. The only animals in the whole region of China that were not tested were the, were the mice in the Wuhan lab. Now you tell me why they wouldn't wanna test the mice in the Wuhan lab. But they're, they're, this came from a lab, this was originated from the lab. The Wuhan lab is the only lab uh, within a thousand miles that did that type of gain of function research. And they used mice Ironically, they wouldn't let anyone test the mice there. So I think that it's pretty safe to conclude that this originated in the Wuhan lab. China has lied about it. The World Health Organization has complied with China's lies. And as a result, you know, millions of people worldwide have died. Yeah, and very quickly, sir, I only have about a half a minute or so. Even if it did originate within an animal to human jump, did we... Did you agree? Did you find out? Do we, can we agree that at one point it was accelerated in this lab? 
we can agree it was accelerated in this lab. And we had four uh, really sharp experts. I encouraged all of America to watch the tape of that hearing. It was two hours and they gave more information. Uh, no one was on a time clock. Uh, it was just factual information with charts, with the experts in the field. And I think that uh, now the next step is to try to make sure that this doesn't happen again and then to try to obviously hold China accountable. Bingo. Bingo. That's the one I'm looking for. Congressman, really appreciate your time. Congressman James Comer of Kentucky, thank you. Thanks for having me on. All right. To talk more on this topic, we're joined now by former White House trade advisor Peter Navarro. Peter, very importantly, thank you for joining us. Um, China deleted some data recently. What do you know about that? What do you think it was all about? It's part of the cover-up. And by the way, Eric, great to see you flying Newsmax calls. You look Marvelous. Thank time. you. <laughs> uh, here's the thing. Um, there was a cover up by the Chinese. Uh, if I in the White House had had that genetic data at the time, we could have saved hundreds and hundreds of thousands of lives in the United States and perhaps millions worldwide. So they intentionally hid that sequence because they knew that, that sequence would look exactly what it was, which is a genetically engineered virus. And Fauci, Tony Fauci is part of the cover-up because he knew that that came from the lab. And he, if he had simply told the president what he knew when he knew it in January of 2020, Donald J. Trump would have demanded from the Chinese to release that genetic data. Peter, we had this and we now know this former CDC director said that he thought that the, the COVID virus leaked from China as far back as September or October of 2019, a clear five months before yeah. anyone here or any Fauci or anyone said, hey, this is going to be a problem. How many lives could have been saved had Trump put his travel ban on anyone from Wuhan, China five months prior? We could have contained the virus in Wuhan instead of having a, a global pandemic. And that, that's really the tragedy here. And, the, and what the, the timeline is pretty simple. In 2017, Tony Fauci basically went behind the president's back to restore this gain-of-function experiments. Eric, that's what created the deadly virus, right? And, and American taxpayers, through Fauci, paid for that. Yeah. And so there was an arc of time there. And if we had just known this, Eric, I just want to say this again, hundreds of thousands right. of people would be alive today. Maybe, maybe who's Agreed. watching your daughter, your father, your grandfather. We That's on the Chinese Communist Party, and it's on Tony Fauci. This country lost 600,000 people. We spent trillions. We're still going to be spending trillions of dollars doing fixing, cleaning up China's mess. Here, very quickly, about half a minute or so, Peter. It's a big topic for 30, 45 seconds. How do we hold China accountable financially? Uh, I, when I was in the White House, I have a, a presidential commission executive order that would have got to the origins and costs. That order should be done either at the White House or Congress to hold them accountable, find out where it came from. Uh, my estimates are $20 trillion at a minimum they owe us. $20 trillion, Eric. We should collect that money forthwith. Trump says $10 trillion. You're saying $20 trillion. Peter, yeah, Boss should have talked to me before he went out with that, because I, I, that's what I would have done in the Oval. I would have run him down that whole thing. And, and just, a, just a loss of human life in and of itself approaches $10 trillion. Uh, We can do that in another time. But I'm telling you, it's a big ticket. 
We need that money. And Tony Fauci needs to be fired. He needs him. But behind me is the Wuhan lab. But physically, Capitol Hill is he needs to be sitting in the hot seat, Eric, answering to the American people why he covered up well, his role in this pandemic. We'll bring you back, Peter. And when we do, we're going to yes, go sir. through line by line how we can hold them accountable financially. I want to I want to talk about the money we owe them. I want to talk about trade. We'll do that next time. Former White House trade, trade advisor Peter Navarro. Thank you very much. All right, coming up, former President Trump heads to the U.S.-Mexico border tomorrow to face the crisis head-on in the right place, not the wrong place. We'll have all the latest next. Kamala Harris, your vice president, only went to the border yesterday for the one simple reason, because I announced that I was going next week, and I am, at the request of Texas Governor Abbott and the Border Patrol. I'm going to the border next week. Oh, if I didn't do that, I don't know if she was ever going to go. I really don't know if that was she ever going to go. I don't know. Well, that was former President Trump announcing he is heading to the U.S.-Mexico border tomorrow, just days after Vice President Kamala Harris took a visit to El Paso, Texas, which, by the way, is about 800 miles away from the real center of the border crisis. Hope she had a nice visit. We bring in former acting Deputy, Deputy Secretary of Homeland Security, Ken Cuccinelli. Ken, before we get to what to expect tomorrow with Trump's border trip, weigh in on the vice president's photo op. Yeah, so it, it was, you know, a drive-by and check-the-box exercise. You know very well what sort of news is made on Friday, the sort you want to bury, right? And um, not only that, it was a Friday rolling into a holiday period as, as more and more people are out this week. So they buried it as well as they could. I think the president is right that that uh, certainly him going to the border was a was a consideration for them. They figured they couldn't delay much longer. But I also want to point out one part of her visit. She sat down with a whole bunch of left wing groups. Some of them take care of immigrants and so forth. But a lot of them sue us incessantly to kick open loopholes in our immigration law. And you're dealing with a sue-and-settle administration in the Biden administration looking to take advantage of those folks. We, it wasn't that we you know, didn't like them personally, but they were the opponents of actual enforcement of immigration law, and that's who she chose to sit you down know, with you know, in El Paso. Allow me to get to this. I have a lot to get to. When you were there, when Trump was president, you got immigration, you got illegal immigration down to less than 50,000, 40,000. April, I think a year ago, had 17,000 uh, border apprehensions. We were up at over 100,000 a month now. There are a couple of things that mattered. The wall seemed to have mattered. I think stay in Mexico policy certainly mattered. Yeah. And also the catch and release policy that you guys stopped. In other words, you catch them here, what they used to do and what they're going back to is you catch an illegal crossing the border, they're going to let them go and hope they come back in for a court date. Tell us about, will we hear about that tomorrow with Trump? Yeah, you, I, he, he continues to mention the Remain in Mexico program when he talks about this subject. It was incredibly effective. It essentially created detention in Mexico 
for people who attempted to cross into the United States. And it had two effects. One, it didn't uh, overwhelm our detention facilities in the U.S., so we didn't have to release people getting rid of catch and release, like you mentioned. It also deterred people from coming because they knew we could hold them or keep them out of the country. It was a huge deterrent effect. This current administration hasn't taken a single step, not one, to stem the flow of illegal aliens across our border, not one. Hey, can, I, I only have about a half a minute or so. Just tell us, so uh, Kamala Harris went to El Paso almost 800 right. miles away from the real border crisis. Just weigh in on that before we, before we let you go. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that was purposeful. The Democrats down in the Rio Grande Valley are fed up with this administration's facilitating illegal immigration. She went where Representative Escobar is a member of the radical left. You know, she calls the illegal immigrants the new Ellis Island there in El Paso. My, uh, my Italian immigrant grandparents, great-grandparents came through Ellis Island legally. There's a big difference. And that's why she went to El Paso, is they equate illegal to what we used to think of as legal immigration. It's, it's, it's a very bad situation. All right, we're going to leave it there. Ken Cuccinelli, former acting deputy secretary of Homeland Security. Hopefully you're not being held by some El Chapo group there in an alley somewhere. I'm guessing that wall is, is in your basement. Ken, thank you so much. Hey, Grant, what's coming up on the big Grant Stinchfield show? Big day in news. Uh, Eric, it's always good to see you, man. Uh, absolutely. We know that the Obama administration was spying on the Trump campaign. How about this for a revelation? Deep state loyalists to Obama spy on President Trump's staffers after he takes the Oval Office. We'll talk to one of the men who says he was spied upon by the FBI. That on the show tonight. Yeah, right, coming up a little bit right after this show, Stinchfield. Stick around. Rescue crews continue their desperate search to find survivors six days after the 12-story oceanfront condo in Surfside, Florida, collapsed. The condo building had been cited for needed repairs that could cost up to $15 million. Joining us now, Mike Noriega, who's been on the scene. Mike, I understand your 93-year-old grandmother is still missing. Tell us, tell us what's, going, what's going on down there. Well, uh, just to give you a little bit of background, uh, I received a 2 a.m. phone call from my mother that we needed to rush down here, and we saw the scene at about 2.30 a.m., and we just couldn't believe what we were seeing. It was like uh, a nightmare out of a movie scene, but it was real. And, man, when I first got here, I just literally fell to my knees in awe of the situation in complete and total shock. And, um, you know, a lot has happened since then. Uh, but we've been very, very impressed with the first responders uh, just to see how they've put their lives on the line, just to see how uh, our politicians have, have come together uh, and the community, churches, uh, everybody's just really been wanting to become part of the solution uh, in the midst of this huge problem. So we do see hope in this. You know, Mike, uh, I, I was at the World Trade Center. I was there when it was coming down. Uh, I was there two days after it came down. We had to go into, to, for, for whatever reason, I was working down there and the, and the military brought us in. And I do remember this. And they say this is happening here on this pile of rubble as well. Cell phones ringing. I hear that's happening down there too. Yeah. Yeah, I've even heard a, a report that's confirmed uh, that there's a phone call from a landline inside of where the tower was 
that's uh, calling relatives, and every time the relatives answer that phone call from that person that's uh, supposedly underneath the rubble, uh, it's just static. And so uh, that's just one more sign of hope, but uh, it is very surreal. Mm. You know, you mentioned uh, the politicians and, and the first responders, and, and I think it's real important that people get frustrated, they get upset, and they, and, and they think things should happen faster. I know how, how tenuous those situations are, how dangerous that pile of rubble is and can be. DeSantis is doing a pretty darn good job, isn't he? And, and the first responders, you got you to gotta take your hat off to them. They're risking their lives in a dangerous pile of rubble that could kill them, yet they're doing it because that's their job. Yes. I mean, let me tell you, when we first arrived on the scene, uh, this was a very, it still is a very fluid situation. But let me tell you, uh, it's been an impossible situation for, for, for them. The first thing that I saw was these firefighters and, and first responders going into the remaining standing building that at the time could fall at any moment, but they were still going in there. Uh, I think people are, are frustrated with the progress because uh, they think a lot more should have happened by now. And I understand that. But at the same time, when you look at it from the first responders perspective, which we've had a front row seat to, uh, let me tell you, these first responders, uh, if they move a, a rock or a piece of rubble that's holding up other pieces of rubble, it can cause an avalanche that can kill survivors. And my grandmother is still in there. So I want them to continue doing the best they can, which they are, but I want them to do it the right way. So this is just a very sensitive and delicate process. And people just have to be understanding of this, that everybody's doing everything possible that they can. You know, Mike, we're, we're scrolling through a couple of pictures of you and your grandmother there. Very difficult. I get it. It's very, very difficult. As I said, I was at the World Trade Center when, 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 that, when those towers came down and, and family members came in. Are you prepared very quickly, about 30 seconds or so? Are you prepared if we're not able to find your grandmother and others to consider that as her final resting place? Yes. Uh, to be very direct, something like this, it just makes you question the foundations of your life. And uh, I've just had to cry out to God on this. Um, we found some, we found a birthday card and two pictures in the debris on the street from the collapse the first night that we were here within the first couple hours. And that brought us so much comfort because it made us realize that although my grandmother is beneath that rubble, it was confirmation that God loves her and his presence is with her if she's alive underneath that rubble. But if she's not alive, she's in heaven with Jesus. And so we've just come to terms that either way, she's in the presence right. of God. So either it's going to be the miracle of the ages or she's going to be at her resting place with her heavenly father. Either way. So we do understand. Either way, she knows and we know that you love her. We're wishing you all the best, Mike. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much. All right. Next, take a look at Vogue's new August issue. Well, yeah, that's Dr. Jill Biden. But who didn't get a Vogue cover while being First Lady? We think you all know the answer to that one. We're going to talk about that and more after the break. Jill Biden already on the cover of Vogue just six months since her being the First Lady. Is it just me or do we see a pattern here? Take a look at this. All the Democratic First Ladies have been on the cover of Vogue but Republican first ladies haven't made the cut. And get this, Melania Trump 
didn't get a cover during her four years as first lady. And to add, she was a former supermodel. Something doesn't seem too fair about this. Anyway, great time again tonight, and I will see all of you again tomorrow night.